Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. LMFM Podcasts, brought to you with Cark Macross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark Macross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark Macross or CarkMacrossCU.ie. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now, michael at lmfm.ie. Thursday morning, the 11th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. It was a late night in Brussels for the leaders of uh, the 28 European countries as an emergency council summit sought an agreeable way of avoiding the United Kingdom crashing out of the European Union without a deal tomorrow. It's almost three years since uh, the Brexit referendum passed in June 2016 and then... A bit like waiting for a bus, the deadline for leaving was extended, not once, but twice, and in a fortnight, from the 29th of March to the 12th of April, and to last night, when a new deadline was put in place with the 31st of October now set as the date the UK must leave. Although there is no legal requirement blocking an extension to that deadline either. Deadlines rolling over the UK, disrupting the work of the EU indefinite uncertainty now are all prospects. What do we know about the future? Well, whilst Brexit has always been uncertain, we do know that come October that Donald Tusk will no longer be the President of the EU Council. We know that Jean-Claude Juncker will no longer be the Commission President. Theresa May will no doubt be doing something else rather than leading the United Kingdom and not be the British Prime Minister and a number of different faces in the other 27 seats occupied by the European leaders in Brussels last night may well have changed as well. We'll be talking about all of this as we go through the morning this morning but we're going to begin our programme with that meeting of the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport. As you know John Delaney was amongst a delegation of FAI personnel who appeared to explain, amongst other things, a €100,000 bridging loan that he gave to the FAI, and also why, shortly after that, a commission of the structures of the FAI was put in place, and a decision then made to redesignate John Delaney from chief executive to the new position of executive uh, 
vice president of the FAI. Well, all of this was explained uh, to some degree in a very short statement, uh, and John Delaney said that anything he did, he did for the benefit of the FAI. I just want to express the concerns of the committee to the FAI. Uh, the concerns of the committee are concerned that we only received this information uh, two separate uh, significant uh, points or addresses rather have been given to us and uh, the way we do business is we tell you by such and such a day so 12 noon on April the 8th last Monday was the date we were to have these That's Fergus O'Dowd the chair of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on uh, Transport uh, Sport and Tourism who was complaining as indeed many of uh, the members were complaining yesterday that they had not received uh, a copy of uh, John Delaney's statement in advance of him reading it to the committee yesterday. The committee adjourned. It was one of three adjournments. uh, And then John Delaney read his statement. It it, uh, didn't really give the kind of uh, detail that people were hoping for. But as I said earlier on, he said that anything he did was for the benefit of the association. I was only acting to assist the FAI and for the benefit of Irish football. I will continue to assist fully the Football Association of Ireland in its engagements with Sports Ireland and Grant Thornton. And when called upon to do so, will do likewise with Mazars and the Office of Director of Corporate Enforcement in their respective inquiries. On legal advice, I'm precluded from making any further comments at this hearing in relation to the finances of the Association or my former role as CEO or the 100,000 payment, either directly or indirectly. In the interests of fair procedures and natural justice, which I have made this statement to the committee, and have attended this meeting voluntarily, as I've attended many Oireachtas committees in the past. I am not in a position to answer any such questions here at this time. Given that some members of this committee have made highly prejudicial public pronouncements about me personally prior to my attendance here today, and in light of the recent Supreme Court hearing or ruling in the Cairns case, I would ask that the committee respects this position. I'm happy to answer any other questions in relation to my current role as Executive Vice President responsible for UEFA and FIFA matters. Um, and I'd appreciate succinct answers. Um, just to clear one thing up, Mr Delaney, um, you, you said you recall uh, asking the Director of Finance, did the, uh, the FAA have any reporting or disclosure obligations arising out of the €100,000 payment? Can you recall the response to that? I've made it clear in my statement, Deputy Murphy, that I can't add, add any further to that at this given stage, given the various investigations that are okay. taking place. I give, an, I give an example, and perhaps Mr Delaney might be able to answer this as the person who made the funding available, and no one questions your passion for soccer. Um, last year, Bray Wanders, a historical club, uh, nearly went to its knees. Um, why was there not a need to help them? When Bray Wanderers presented... No, that the, was Mr Delaney, actually. Can I take this, please? When Bray Wanderers... Well, I, I, I actually... Fairness is entitled to Mr Delaney's open to other questions. 
So I think he should answer Well, I think questions. he said, Mr. Chairman, that questions in relation to his former role as CEO, which um, that would come under, I think in his statement he said he, that sorry, he did me. not wish to take those questions. I'll just clarify that. What? Okay, no, I accept that. Sorry, apologies. I know he's happy to answer other questions into his present role. Excuse yes. me. No, you're right. Mr. Lenny, you don't have to answer that question. No. I wanted to ask you about the creation of the new role for um, John Delaney uh, beside you there. Um, given all the information that's come to light, right, we've had the um, Sport Ireland not being informed of the financial difficulties as per uh, conditions for the approval for, for grant, grant approval, given the fact that the... Um, the 100,000 loan wasn't in the account, given the fact that, as you say, that the very board members that are expected to hold the CEO to account were not informed. Um, and also, in the, you know, in general, the over, everything in general since that. Do you think that, given all of that that's come to light, that it was appropriate to create a new position for your former CEO? Do, I'm asking you on the base, do you actually think that that is good governance? In your opinion now, as the president of the FAI, do you think that is good governance? It send out, sends out a good message. Um, and do you think it was a decision, you know, a good decision by the board? I mean, some might say, you know, it appears that some might say that the, the FAI board, as it currently stands, is not fit for purpose. Given that, uh, right, yeah. Given given all that's happened, I mean, you haven't rescinded that position to show that, as you said earlier, that you will um, you, you declared your commitment to learn from what's happened. But what you've done is you've created that role. You might say it was created prior to it or after. Either way, it's it's irrelevant. But you haven't rescinded that new role that you created. And did you, do you think, was that role advertised? And is that good governance? If it wasn't advertised, is that good governance? And do you accept that it appears to people that's the same old, same old at the FAI board, that people would have that perception? Do you accept that it would appear to people like that? And that you've been even by virtue of today and this, the opening statements, etc., that um, you're reflected in a very, very bad light right across the state. Okay. Uh, you answer that, and then Deputy Coppinger, sorry. Okay, I'm going to try to pick up some of the things. Of course, uh, I know uh, you feel free uh, to. Chair chairman. Um, as Chairman of the Board, uh, Deputy, the image of the FAI, of course, is important and uh, harming that image is a matter of serious concern to us. I just wanted to ask uh, Mr Delaney, obviously in your statement that you've just given us, you said you're, for legal reasons you don't wish to talk about your role as former CEO or the loan, but you are willing and you're happy to talk about your current role, so I'd like to ask you about that. Um, so y you've said that... You, this current role is to um, focus more because you, you couldn't previously do the, the, the three jobs that were amounting up 
Would it be fair to say, though, that you're still double-jobbing as Executive Vice-President and on the UEFA Committee, as a member of the UEFA Committee, still two jobs that you're doing? Um, no. Um, uh, the President is quite right that a number of months ago we would have discussed the time constraints and the amount of time I've had to spend doing effectively three roles every weekend. Our Deputy Troy referred to it, going to grassroots functions, visiting over 2,000 clubs in a period of time. Do you think it's fair that you are answerable to the public in, in, in your roles, including in your current role, given that the public do contribute to the, you know, the buying of the match tickets, to the football jerseys, to the merchandise... And while you've said here today for legal reasons, following the Angela Cairns case, that you're not willing to talk about it, but do you not think that you have a duty to the public to answer some questions? No, I think the question... I've read my statement as it is. Okay. Well, would you... On your current role, um, would it be fair or accurate to say that the salary for that is more than the total... League Sorry. of Ireland uh, prize just, money? Uh, I, 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 obviously, it's a question everybody would like answers to. But this committee, you don't have to answer that question, given our... our, our he wants to. Sorry, no, 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 no. Let's be honest about this now. I'm he can choose sharing, not to. No, no, no. What I'm saying to him is that he can answer if he wishes to, but he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to. So at any stage, did Mr Delaney uh, approach you personally and offer his resignation? No. He never considered his position? I was never offered any resignation. Would Mr Delaney like to say, did you ever um, consider your position? I, I, I've read my statement already. Just I, a question. It's just a, I, I, I've, I've, I've read my statement. That, that, that offer of resignation would have had to be made to me, to the board. No, no I'm just asking happen. Mr Delaney personally, did he ever no, consider... You're not answering, but that's your answer. Yeah. Can I just say, just given that answer, could have been something you just, yes or no answer. The former CEO has, has, has behaved disgracefully today. I mean, he came in with a last minute statement. He knows the procedures for this committee. He's furnished us with the statement, but refusing to answer any questions in relation to the statement. And he's, he's also refusing to answer questions that are ongoing in relation to his time as CEO. And I would have imagined it's an absolute disgrace and it's been far what's going on here but the only good thing is that the public out there have witnessed it firsthand too and I would have thought that anybody would have been glad to be handed the opportunity to put the record straight but you haven't taken up that opportunity Mr Delaney I know what your is there a reason why you haven't no I know what your comments Deputy Muster but is there a reason you haven't no I've read my statement as you know at the end of this month, Mr Delaney is to come to Castle Island AFC to, to open the new George O'Callaghan Park. 45 years they wanted for this park to be there. And what I'm reliably told, that if it wasn't for John Delaney and the FAI, that park wouldn't be being opened at the end of this month. You will be most welcome to Kerry. You will get what I would call the mother of all welcomes when you come to Kerry. Because your reputation and your respectability will precede you down the road before you land. And if you're I guilty of anything, you're yeah. guilty of trying to help an association okay. in the best way you saw fit at that time. You don't sure, have to agree sure with sure him. Uh, O'Brien, anyway, yeah. uh, did I make any savage, oh, look, Chairman? I think, no. I'm being Deputy goaded O'Brien, here, Chairman. If, if I'm sorry, sorry Deputy, Deputy Hedy Hedy Ray, my business. I've got to run this meeting. Yeah. And that meeting...
There you go. That's a, a selection of contributions made at uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport. The chair of that committee, Fergus O'Dowd, will join us a little bit later on. We also heard from John Delaney and Donald Conway on behalf of the FAI and some of the committee members said that you heard from there. Catherine Murphy, Imelda Munster, Michael Healy-Ray and Ruth Coppinger. Michael Reed on LMFM. The immediate crisis of Brexit may be over, but the uncertainty continues. Let's talk about this with Paddy Malone, uh, the PRO of uh, the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Good morning to you, Paddy, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning, Michael. Latest deadline set, the 31st of October. It's not in stone, though, and there appears to be no terms and conditions. What do you make of it? It's what was almost inevitably going to happen. As the Taoiseach said this morning, uh, they're not going. EU is not going to be responsible for Brexit for Britain being pushed out of the European Union. Um, they're going to walk. They're going to leave because they did it themselves. Um, you know, I think what the European Union is afraid of five years from now, mm. there'll be people in Britain shouting, you, "You know, you ditched us, or you didn't, you didn't listen to us properly." By God, no one can say we did, that the European Union didn't try. So you know, it's it's. So so, so what is, happens come the thirty first of October if uh, there is no solution? Do we continue trying until the twenty ninth of March uh, the following year and uh, the thirty first of October after that? Because that seems well, to be it, the case that this is not in stone and it is a movable feast again. Yeah, and I think there's a certain element, there's a certain sense in not having it in stone. Because then you don't create these crises of every three weeks. We've got to make a decision. We've got to make a decision. You know, everybody thought that the 29th of March mm. was the end of the year or was the end of the world sort of thing. It's no harm that it's, to a certain extent, flexible. And the other point of the matter is things are slowly beginning to change. Watching the British TV stations last night, what was coming out was that the second referendum, the fact that, you know, what was originally voted on they're now realising, you know, it wasn't black and white. It was the, the pro- neither side did their jo- did their job mm. correctly in explaining what the issues really were about. And I think that dawning is now slowly coming into play. The fact that Parliament has indicated that it is not prepared to accept a no deal. So if you go back to a Theresa May's mm. speech that a, a, a bad deal is worse than a no deal, um, it's clear now at this stage that the Parliament has said no to that. So I think things. It feels like Groundhog Day, and I know I mm. feel like it when I'm talking to you about it, that nothing's moved. I do think there are subtle changes happening under the water. We're not seeing directly, but that they will lead to a second referendum. Now, it does worry me to a certain extent that there isn't the landslide mm. that... Well, there has to be a second referendum, doesn't there? I mean, there's no prospect of a, a deal or a general election, probably uh, more to the point. Uh, but you can't get consensus on this without one or the other or perhaps both uh, because there isn't a, a majority in the House of Commons or a single majority for one single issue. Uh, as uh, the spokesperson for Macron said the other day, there is a majority. There's two majorities. There's a majority for uh, a deal and there's a majority for no deal. Yeah, and the, the problem you have is that neither party, because of the British adversarial system, um, there's no consensus, there's no at- attempt to build a consensus, which is why I think a referendum where neither the Labour Party nor the Conservative Party are committed to one way or the other, let every TD go, or let every MP or MEP go out and canvass for what they think, I think that actually is a, it would give a clearer answer mm. to, the, to the question. Because then you're not saying this is people going in on the voting Conservative because 
or they're voting in a certain way because the Conservative Party has told them or the Labour Party. I well, think that the people decide. We haven't, we, have, we haven't the verdict in response to last night's uh, agreement as yet because it was late uh, after one o'clock uh, our time, after two o'clock European time. Uh, but undoubtedly the fallout is going to be great. Uh, and whilst we've been saying it for weeks now, Mrs May's days must be numbered. Yeah, I mean, this rule that she's immune for 12 months, it seems to be becoming a bit more ridiculous now. The EOG, when they made the move against her, mistimed it. Um, look, it, it's, you know, the frustrating thing is that um, there's an awful lot more to going on in the world than, than Brexit. And, mm. you know, all we can do, I mean, I'm looking at it from, from a business point of view, what we can do in, in business is to try and plan for it. And I know that... Um, what I would say to my members in the, in the mm. chamber is, if you haven't applied to intertrade, do it now. Um, if, if, if you need to start preparing for it, how anyone, what's going to happen in the next six months? Michael, your guess is as good as mine is as good as anybody else's. Well, it is, well, you know, the, well, either, either there'll be a, a referendum in the UK or a general election in the UK, or both, or very little will happen in the next six months, and I that deadline will be pushed back further. Yeah, and I think the referendum is gaining momentum, and I think that's mm. what will happen, because the Conservative Party is definitely not fit to fight a general election, and I don't think the Labour Party, its paper cra- the cracks are papered over. I don't think it's in much better position to mm. fight a, a general election. So I think, you know, I, I think both... But maybe a, a leadership party, contest party for the Tories. A, uh, referendum, mm-hmm. a referendum is the mm-hmm. lesser of two evils. But, uh, I, I mean, a, a leadership contest for the Tories is inevitable, and we'll know that we'll have significant changes in the interim. We know that we'll have a, a different president of the EU Council. Donald Tusk will be replaced. We'll know we'll have a, a different commissioner, or a, a president of the commissioner, Jean-Claude Juncker, will be replaced. We'll know that we'll have European elections in between. We'll have over 700 MEPs. And God knows the British could veto the next president of the Commission. Uh, well, apparently that... they haven't got that amount of power. Mm. But you know, yeah, I mean, and, and, and obviously when we go to the polls ourselves, the the, the, candidate, the people that we return to the European Parliament mm. become very important. And we are blessed in that we have a number of MEPs out there at the moment. I'm not going to name individuals because that's not fair. But there are individuals out there that are already in senior positions within the, the, the political groupings uh, or even within the parliament itself. Mm. So that's an important asset that we have. And we've been blessed over the years with not sending um, the Nigel Farage's and the people mm. who are not there to make well, a positive Well, he party. will be there. Hmm? He, he, will he will be, be there. there. Yeah, and that's an awful... Sh- well, I mean, the, the electorate have to vote mm. him in, and I presume he will get, it, will get elected. But the reality of the situation is that sort of bombastic behaviour is not going to solve the problem. And when we strip it down, what we are talking about... Well, that's for the British people. That's for the British people to decide. And he's going to campaign uh, on a banner of betrayal that the Tories, that the British government has betrayed the people of the United Kingdom. Yeah, and it's up up to the British people or the British politicians to stand up and take a lead and, and, and spell out what is going on. The, the problem you have consistently is that the, mess- the, the proper message in a calm, constructive way has never been presented properly. Um, you are now at this stage having two sides mm. shouting across a wall at each other, neither side prepared to listen. I mean, one of the things that we did recently, which I thought 
at the time was I was very skeptical about it. it was this people's charter of bringing a hundred people together at random and putting them in a room and seeing what comes up. It changed a couple of things in this country where politicians had messed around with it for 20 to 30 the years. The Citizens' Assembly, in other words. The Citizens' mm-hmm. I couldn't remember the word for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Citizens' Assembly. Mm-hmm. It changed things that had been discussed for years, and suddenly referendums passed. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, Suddenly we have same-sex marriage. Same-sex marriage and other things. Uh, abortion without, and so on. Without, yeah. without mm-hmm. any, you know, so maybe there's something there, but, you know, all, all, all we can do in Dundalk and all we can mm-hmm. do in, 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 along the border is the plan for the worst, and, and that's all we can do, and hope that sanity will at some stage go, uh, flow back into the UK system. Mm. Um, that's all we can do. Um, yeah, but, I mean, we have these European elections coming up. Uh, undoubtedly, uh, there will be disruption to the work of the EU, whatever about vetoing uh, the European uh, Commission president, uh, and uh, there will be the makeup of the Council uh, towards October. They'll be looking at uh, next year's budget and the cap allocations and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, there's uh, undoubtedly going to be a different prime minister, whether there's a general election or not, there'll be a, a leadership contest. Uh, there could be other uh, leaders uh, who will have uh, changed uh, because of elections in other countries. We could have a, an election in this country for that matter over the course of the next six months. Yeah, and, and one of the worrying things about it going dragging on over, you know, let's face it, it's not months now, it's, mm. it's, it's years, is that there inevitably will be changes of governments in all 27 countries. Mm. You know, you're not going to have... And they won't have the same I, I, grasp on it. And the, exactly. And they're not going to have the same nuances and the same mm. understanding of what happened. Like the 27 that met last night, in three months' time, one of them is probably going to be, or Slaughter is going to be missing, that there's going to be somebody else in. It, and that is going to deal... That's going to generate a huge amount of frustration among the rest of them because they have to wait for that person or persons to catch up. They understand the nuances of it. And in some countries, let's be honest about it, we are scared stiff of Brexit because it's on our doorstep, and particularly in this region, it's even more so. But if you go to Bulgaria or you go to Romania and ask them what's the main crisis, they're going to tell you Syria and the Syrian refugees and, the, and, and people coming in from Asia, coming in from Turkey. So, you know, and, and, and Brussels, even if you go to you, uh, Brussels and ask what's the main item, Brexit was probably number two or three. It's not the number one. And, and, and people have got to recognise that. So that when we're talking about the European mm. minister sitting down and making decisions, I think the fact that they said there was a, obviously a, a clash between those that wanted three months and those that wanted a, a long period and they went for six months as a compromise. Mm. Um, but the message has got to be to the UK, you've got to get this sorted out eventually. Now, the hope is that by not having it in two weeks' time or three weeks' time, that you don't create another you know, flurry of activity for 24 hours, which amounts to nothing. Mm. Um, and maybe, you know, it, it, May's, effort, May's effort to talk to the, the Labour Party will be, you know, hopefully it's genuine. You know, you won't know till we see what comes out of the, at the other end of it. But yeah. if it's the same as it has been, and the Labour Party is saying she's just repeating what she said already, well, then that will be showing up. And then it will be back to... Is this not a, a fudge? Should she not have been told, you have to come back and make a decision? You can't leave us in this sense of limbo. You can't I, continue... Well, there's, it's not in stone. She, this deadline can be rolled over as the last one was, as the one before that was. And the problem you will have is, very simple, the EU will not be seen to be the one that... That 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 that's loses that walks away first. Well, should they not have a, at least attached terms and conditions to it? Well, if it, but if you attach terms and conditions like you did in the past, and you prove not to stick to them, then there was no point in attaching them in the first place. You know, and I think 
I think unless the EU is prepared to actually mm. say these are the terms and conditions and this is it and mean it, there was no point in it. And now, are British MEPs going to be working uh, for the benefit of the union? How many of our MEPs work for the benefit of the union and are not there to represent their own individual constituency? We're all there, you know, mm. we're all there to elect their own constituency. I can remember, and but, I go back a long, long time. But, uh, but, but I, what's, I, what's, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, I, mean, I mean, if you talk about law and order in Dundalk, uh, you decide that on a national level. Uh, it's the same thing. Is it local or is it national? Uh, and well, that's, that's the conversation we're having now. Uh, if they're representing their constituency, which is part of the European Union, well, then the benefit of the union is the same thing, is it not? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I can remember many years ago, my father got ill and he asked me to attend an FAI council meeting. Um, and I went there and there was a, a call from a junior club to, for a, a break on the, uh, getting a bit more money. And um, it went to a vote. And then Dark, me, cast a vote in favour of giving them a few extra pounds. I was the only member of the senior clubs that did. And my father rang me up the following day and he said to me, if you want to give away your money, you do so. But you're there to represent them dark, not the greater good of soccer or anybody else. You're there to represent them dark. Okay. And I will go back to the same position with MP- MEPs are in the parliament. They're there to represent the constituents. Are they there to play the greater role and look at the, the greater 27 or the, the, the 28? Probably it's what they should do, but the reality is they're not going to do it. Um, I mean, if you had a situation where, you know, Mairead McGuinness or Luke Main Flanagan or anybody else was faced with something that was going to be critically damaging to their constituency, you and I would not thank them for doing so. Mm. Uh, well, not uh, necessarily the people you've mentioned, uh, but some people would be critical of uh, the positions uh, that MEPs have uh, taken uh, or, or TDs have taken, for that matter, uh, at a, a national level or a European level, as the case yeah, may you, be. But, you, uh, yeah, and you're going to have yeah, that, mm-hmm, and there's a balance mm-hmm, between the two. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody who represents a constituency has to play that game of balancing between the two. Now, I would always think that the greater picture is the more important, but, you know, yet they have to get re-elected. And... Mm. You know, there are pluses and minuses in democracy. That's one of them. And if I go back to the, what we would hope would be that the British people would not put up a load of people who would be just simply disruptive for the sake of disruption. Okay. I mean, that, that's all right in Oxford and Cambridge if they mm-hmm. were to play debating societies. It's the real world, and it affects real people. And what the ordinary politician in Britain has got to get across to its members is these decisions that are made in the European Parliament directly affect your business and directly affect how you are. Okay. I was listening to a trade unionist this morning talking about it, and he said the whole landscape and industrial relations has changed in Britain because of European law. I mean, as a kid, I remember mm. growing up, and it was just a question of what strike was on today. Yeah. And it wasn't much better here in, in, in Ireland either. Mm. Uh, and that whole landscape has changed. Okay, Paddy. I have to leave it there, but listen, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Just I will repeat, get involved in Intertrade. Our members, please, it's important. All right. Thank you. Paddy Malone, PRO for the Chamber of Commerce in Dundalk. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now back uh, to the FAI's appearance in front of uh, the Oireachtas Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport. The chair of uh, that committee is Fergus O'Dowd of Finnegale TD, who's on the line. Good morning to you and thanks morning, for joining us once uh, again on the programme. I suppose uh, people are disappointed, some people at least, are, are disappointed uh, that Mr Delaney made his prepared statement and didn't say anything. 
further than what he had outlined in that statement. Can you explain to us why that was the case? Well, I think the first thing is when people come before a committee, they're given a date with, within which they, they give us their opening statement. So Monday was the day for the opening statement for the FAI, and we got the statement in from the president. And then we were told that Delaney was coming in. So we all assumed up until yesterday morning, up until the meeting had actually started, that he would be answering questions. We had no indication that he wasn't going to. So then they produced out of a hat, as you know, uh, two statements, uh, one for the President's Association and one for Mr. Delaney, which we had no sight of. So I stopped the meeting and got them printed, got copies of them, so we had an opportunity to read them. Uh, and uh, until that time, we didn't know that was was going to happen. Uh, now, the, the second thing is that he relied on legal advice. Now, the difficulty is when you're not a civil servant, um, you're not obliged, A, to come to a committee meeting and, B, to answer questions if you don't want to. So if, if, if John Delaney was a civil servant in any department, he would have had to answer questions and there would have been no bar legal on questions being put to him. Mm. But what happened yesterday was that because he's there in a voluntary capacity, he's not obliged to be there. He's not obliged to answer questions mm. legally. And we also had legal advice that uh, while the FAI gets 2.9 million from the state, uh, they, we, they, they're only accountable for that 2.9 million yeah. and not for all of the other things they do, except in one exception, if they don't tell uh, the Sports Sport Ireland around, yeah. that there's a problem with their finances. And clearly, they didn't do that. And that's why we were able to ask the questions about the 100,000. But legally, he wasn't obliged to answer them. And that was that's why people can see that the Rochtis is weak in that regard. Sure. Uh, and mm-hmm. I can talk to you about the reasons for that as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose we'll remember the referendum and the people listening to us uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. prevents no. yeah. uh, the Rochtis have from having uh, the powers uh, to force uh, people to... Yes. Yeah. So, uh, he'd be foolish, wouldn't he? He would have been foolish. I mean, in fairness to him, he would have been foolish to uh, ignore the legal advice that he'd received. Uh, but what was that legal advice? Well, we didn't get a copy of it. He said he was acting on legal advice. Uh, and he's, he, that is his right, like yeah. to say that. No, I understand, I but I, I, I just didn't understand what that meant. I, I mean, why would... Well, well, why, well, why it was would extremely it, broad because he said that he couldn't talk about his 18 years running the FAI, which yeah. we all know is absolute bullshit, you know. But the, the point about it is that legally he's not obliged... Uh, to answer any questions at all. No, not not obliged, and he didn't do anything wrong, and he'd be foolish to ignore legal advice. But I can't understand what advice... He why would, he needed legal advice. Well, well, well yeah. I mean, I suppose we all need legal advice, especially going... No, no, in, what in, I mean is, from the point of view, if I loaned hmm. LMFM €100,000 yeah. tomorrow, uh, I would be delighted to explain to a doll committee why I did it and what happened, and hmm. Jesus, you know, I had to... I had to whatever I had to do to get it and what mm. the pressure was and I would, I'd never be an open 
uh, an open book. Yeah, but LMFM mightn't, LMFM mightn't be happy with you doing it, uh, and that could have been part yeah. of uh, the legal advice, uh, because it, it could be yeah. that LMFM was uh, facing closure or something terrible. So, of course, I mean, yeah. that, no, that, no, that, 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 that could embarrass the other that, party that, in the story. It. So maybe that was that. But, but I still can't understand what legal advice or on what basis legal advice would be given to John Delaney not to take questions. Well, that's, that's a privilege... Uh, uh, Sorry, that's a perfect consultation he had with his lawyers. But I think that the other point is also important now is that people, A, as you point out, they recognise the weakness of, of, of the, the Oireachtas in, this, in a case like that. Mm. And perhaps maybe the case would grow again to have another referendum on that. Uh, and secondly, I think it shows to the whole public that they weren't prepared to answer the questions, mm. that they didn't tell us. Uh, what we expected them to tell us and we we still don't know the full facts and that we, now we, we, we don't know what he was on about yeah i mean this is the thing we, I, I mean I, I cannot for the life of me imagine what basis there is for legally advising somebody not to take questions in relation to this as you say right. uh, i mean if you gave the money to lmfm you might come in and say well i gave it to a company and you don't have to embarrass lmfm Absolutely, yeah. No, but uh, and you would say, look, look, I got the mm. call. Uh, yeah. The bank said no. I looked for yeah. the money there. I couldn't get it. And Jesus, mm. you know that we have a hundred and two people employed. We could be gone by Friday, and that's what happened, lads. If that's the truth, that's the truth. Whatever it is, it's the truth. And we didn't want to put it in the books because we didn't want to mm. upset whatever it was. But I mean, whatever the story is, it's it's a, it, those whatever the facts are, we don't know them. But, mm. but the point now is that on Tuesday we have Sport Ireland coming in and the minister, and we're going to put it to them now on what conditions they will insist have to be placed on the FAI before they can get their funding back. And that, that's the key mm. question now and the key pressure that must go on the FAI. And obviously I can't speak for the committee because we haven't met, mm. but it's my view that we have to look for the board to be gone. Uh, all of them and every one of them and and we want a new board well, half of them didn't know about this loan uh, until the Sunday Times asked about it and then they commissioned this report and uh, decided to restructure the organisation it was two years before there was three people knew about the loan mm. the rest of the people sitting around that board every month weren't told about it it wasn't in their accounts and they were waiting for two years until that excellent uh, journalist uh, got, 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 got the facts and then that was challenged in the courts as well uh, but but at least it's in it got into the public domain, so so like this, it's a huge story. But the the outcome has to be better regulation, more accountability, and 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 change at the top in that organisation. That's what people want. Now they are a private organisation, like they're not a state body. We're not shareholders in the organisation, so it has to be the pressure of public opinion and political pressure. And I also think that. Uh, Obviously, there are sponsors follow the game, yeah. and that they they put you know that they support the game. The issue is if the government won't sponsor the organisation because of their governance, uh, how can a sponsor continue to support them if they don't change that governance? Will they, will they be asked to come back before your committee? Pardon? Will they be asked to come back before your committee? Oh yes, we will. Of course, yeah. No, no. Of course, of course, they will be asked. Yeah, but like Tuesday now will be. You know, how do you make, how do you make, mm. what conditions are you going to put on accountability before they get, the, before uh, they Would get you ask John Delaney to explain the basis for the legal advice that he received? What was uh, the potential for a, a legal problem if he had taken answers, in other words? 
Well, what I mean, the, the problem is that... Or questions, rather. Well, no, no. The, the thing is, you see, that uh, if... If somebody has legal advice, they have legal advice. You you don't you can't challenge that as such. You know they're different. They're, they're, they're an entitlement to that advice uh, and to act accordingly. You know that's well, that's who gave entitlement. it? I, I don't obviously. Can, can, can we ask who gave it? Uh, no, no, we, we can't ask who gave it. We can't ask on what basis it was given. You can't look. The law is the law is that we couldn't ask him or get an answer, force an answer. No, as a committee, uh, as yeah. a committee, but as a public representative uh, this morning, uh, would you call on John? Oh, sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry, yeah. sorry, Michael. I was asking yeah. about me. Sorry, I, I don't have yeah. a problem calling him to to publish his advice. I don't have a problem calling him for him to go. I think the board must go. I think the whole lot of them must go. Uh, I think that uh, they have a very Poor gender balance on the board as well, uh, and I think I think they need uh, the need a lot more young people involved. Uh, like the, 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 there's a huge clamour for change, mm. and clearly the government and Sport Island have a lot more work to do to make sure we get that change. And okay. if you compare them, and they're not they're different personnel, mm-hmm. and there's totally different issues to the, you know, to to to, to the Olympic Federation or the mm-hmm. Olympic Council. Uh, you know, there was no confidence in them before the change, the complete change in the board, and now there's absolute confidence in them. Okay. And that's, you know, and that's what we yeah. need. Well, you a, a long day yesterday. Thanks uh, for taking some time thank to be you, with Michael, us this morning. I'll get back to you after Tuesday. I'll let you know what happens. Okay, so. thank you very much okay, indeed. We look forward to that. Uh, that's uh, Fine Gael TD, Fergus O'Dowd, who's uh, the chair of the Rockless Committee on Transport, Tourism and Sport. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Not surprisingly, perhaps, Michael, we're getting quite a bit of comments so far this morning on the FAI and that committee meeting yesterday. Pat from Navin was first on the phone and he describe the whole thing as a farce. He feels that what is the point in having Eroctus committees if they can't ensure that questions where are being answered and I know the whole legal implications of the, the Karen's cases involved there as, as um, Fergus O'Dowd touched on in the interview but Pat says that he felt it was just a waste of time that he was looking many people were listening in to try and get the answers or to see where that why that money was given and he says that um, it appeared to him that uh, Mr Delaney had a solicitor sitting sitting behind him and he's wondering who was paying for that. Was it the FAI or was it uh, Mr Delaney himself? And he says that he brings his kids to play soccer and who pays for that? Only myself. And he feels that people deserve to know what was going on. All right, well, the Angela Kearns uh, Supreme Court uh, ruling uh, may have impacted on uh, the proceedings yesterday, but uh, what's more important is uh, the powers of Rockless committees to compel people to appear and to compel mm. people to answer questions put to them. Uh, there is no compelability because that's what people voted against in a referendum not too long ago. Jim says, Scarlet for you is what Imelda Munster said yesterday and we all are so embarrassed. But it's also very unfair, Michael, when you look at all the people who volunteer for the development. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Um, ...of soccer here in Ireland at grassroots roots level. Uh, I'm delighted that their funding has been withdrawn and I don't think it should be reinstated until we we know what's going on and until there's a shake-up at the top. OK, well, we'll come back to some more of those comments in a moment, but we'll go to Drogheda and uh, the ongoing feud there in a development yesterday related to, to what Gardaí say is intimidating behaviour in Drogheda and Mid-Louth. An extensive search and arrest operation took place and Niall O'Connor, crime editor of the Irish Mirror, joins us to tell us more. This was resulted in the arrest of of two men, I believe, Niall. Two men in their 20s, that's correct. Um, they were arrested by Gardaí yesterday and they uh, have been detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act so they can be held for a maximum of uh, 24 hours. It's in direct relationship to the ongoing feud in the in Drogheda uh, and kind of the general area around Drogheda. And as we're aware and as we know, there's been a lot of shootings, uh, there's been some bombings uh, and there's been an awful lot of assaults and other kind of intimidation, damage to property, things like that. So Gardaí uh, clearly have worked up um, a file in this. They have who they need to talk to. They have established who these people are. It's two warring factions, as we're aware, uh, particularly, um, I think, you know, you could say certainly that one of those factions is based around the Money Moor area. Mm. Um, so uh, what the Gardaí are doing now is that they have they need to crack down on this. They need to get get a plan in place. They have done that. There is a, a robust plan in place. They've been through this before with other cities, or rather other towns like Limerick City uh, back in the mid-2000s. So they've got a lot of success in crashing uh, down on top of these um, these kind of uh, criminal gangs who decide that they're going to operate outside of society. So mm-hmm. uh, ultimately what's after happening though is that they, they went in, they did a number of searches. They've got a, a small quantity of drugs, about 5,000 euros worth of drugs, along with uh, other uh, documents and uh, phones, things like that. So they're going to use that against these people, I presume, to maybe go down the route of being members of organised crime or, or organised of organised crime. And but, that's uh, it. It is a, a small quantity of drugs, just €5,000, but significant in that sense because the two warring factions that you talk uh, about who are engaged in this feud are both drug gangs, drug pushers, and uh, the fact that cannabis has been found in a search relating to that feud uh, could prove uh, worthwhile in time to come. Well, put it this way to you, um, 
it would be very difficult to uh, work up a file to maybe with uh, to prove that they're part of an organised crime gang because of the nature of organised crime. People don't tend to talk uh, about organised crime. But certainly, if you catch someone with drugs, that's a very tangible thing. And uh, you could be looking at, uh, we say, a Section 15 Misuse of Drugs Act mm. uh, charge, which should be sale or supply. So there is also, though, and it, and it bears, it, it should be mentioned that three Gardaí, three off-duty Gardaí were, were attacked. Um, their cars were burnt out outside a, a rented house. Uh, in the last, uh, we'll say, 48 hours um, by these gangs mm. uh, seeking to intimidate uh, Garda members. So Garda are under a lot of pressure in this area. They, certainly their their own private lives now are being affected by these gangs. So uh, certainly they've called on people in the Drogheda area to help them uh, deal with these people. And uh, as you can see, I mean, this mm. operation is not directly related to that uh, arson, those arson attacks. In Knockbridge, yeah. But, however... Uh, it, it certainly shows you the, the difficulty that Gardaí are facing and uh, they're no targets of these gangs uh, for nothing other than the fact of trying to bring priests and uh, order to, mm. uh, to the, the general Drogheda area. And, and the cannabis and cocaine that they seized yesterday, probably not worth an awful lot of money, but could prove valuable in terms of the investigation. And I take it the same could be said of mobile phones that were seized. Well, uh, in recent years, mobile phones have become the absolute uh, smoking gun uh, when it comes to these sort of criminal uh, enterprises because we've seen with the Hutchkinnon feud, particularly in Dublin, that a lot of the evidence has been garnered uh, from mobile phones that has been used against people like Freddie Thompson for the murder of Dahi Douglas. Uh, you know, the, 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 it's very significant uh, thing about these mobile phones is certainly uh, criminals will use certain mobile phones. We've seen before that they've been importing BlackBerry uh, encrypted phones. But in this instance, my understanding is that these aren't these encrypted phones. So, look, there could be a, tre- mm. a treasure trove of information on these phones, particularly in text messages. Uh, 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 and certainly, uh, Gardy will be doing a, a process called X-raying, where they'll download every single bit of file uh, off these mobile phones. And uh, I'm sure, hopefully, for them uh, and for the people of Drogheda, they'll be able to find some very good evidence to uh, pin on these people. OK, no doubt uh, they'll thoroughly examine that vehicle that was seized yesterday uh, as well. Uh, hopefully, it's progress in uh, the ongoing investigation. But thanks for joining us uh, this morning uh, with uh, the details of what happened in Drogheda yesterday. Niall O'Connor, Crime Editor of the Irish Mirror. Now, let's go back to some more of of the calls that have been coming to us this morning, Ray. And to that uh, FAI, uh, Michael, controversy, uh, Sean contacted us and Sean says that um, he feels that the FAI went in with a game plan yesterday to say as little as possible and feels that they are taking us for fools. Uh, another listener got in touch via text and says, get rid of Delaney and bring Healy Ray with him. Another listener, um, Siobhan, phoned in and Siobhan says that uh, in relation to Deputy Healy Ray, she's not sure what was going on yesterday, that she was taken aback, that he used the opportunity to heap praise on John Delaney. Is that what the purpose of the committee was for? All right, interesting <laughs> calls. Yeah, can I just go then to? We were speaking about hospitals and uh, 
during the week and the, the staff employment freeze, if you like. And a listener, James from Kells, phoned in just around the conversation and he just wanted to make the point that he had an appointment in a Dublin hospital for a small operation. He was told to be there for 7.30am and not to be late. So he left his home at 6.15am to give himself plenty of time. He was well prepared. He said he got there, but after waiting seven hours, he was told that it wouldn't be happening that day. He's been given another date to come back in May, but he says it's very frustrating. He was all geared up psychologically as well as everything else. He had to get somebody to drop him up and he says that he's worried that the same thing will happen again. Okay, well I suppose there's never any guarantees uh, with medical procedures uh, like that Uh, but uh, thanks for bringing that to our attention and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us today. Thanks Marie. Uh, And remember if you'd like to add to, to what's been said as always we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to ring Maggie or Marie this morning, our telephone number is 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, let's talk about uh, the latest uh, Brexit uh, deadline with uh, Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down. Good morning to you, Jim Wells. Uh, thanks morning, for Michael. joining us. Uh, Mrs. May has up until the 31st of October to get her deal ratified with the backstop for Northern Ireland, and she does so with confidence, or at least the confidence supplied to her by the DUP? Well, first of all, it's a bit of a Halloween horror story, isn't it, Michael? Uh, 31st of October, a humiliating uh, process for the Prime Minister. Um, She's been given an extra extra time for further negotiations. We still haven't moved one inch further. There's only three possibilities for Mrs May. First of all, that she has a hard Brexit, she leaves immediately. She has a new Brexit or she gets out on the basis of a deal. The one thing I can say is our 10 MPs will not be voting for the deal that she currently has on the table. Mm. And that's where we stand, and I suspect it's going to tread water for quite a long time. But you'll continue to support Mrs May's Tory government, minority government, on all other issues? We will. The confidence and supply motion uh, encompasses a whole range of issues, and Whilst we're extremely unhappy with the performance of the Conservative government on this issue, it's still much more preferable than a Jeremy Corbyn Labour-led government. So therefore, uh, we will continue to support um, Theresa May, but you know she has not exactly covered herself in glory with how she's negotiated this particular agreement. Yeah, but she wants to divide the union, doesn't she? Well, if, if she proceeds with her agreement, that's exactly what she will mm. do. The backstop will create... A, a huge division and between you're Northern you're Ireland. And you're going to facilitate that? We're not. You know, we, we, as Sammy Wilson, one of our MPs, said mm. recently, if her deal is brought before Parliament a thousand times, we will vote against it a thousand times. Mm. It's as simple as that. She's up until the 31st of October to sway the minds of a, a, enough MPs uh, to support her. And if she doesn't do so by then, that deadline could be extended out further. Well, she won't uh, persuade enough MPs because she'll never persuade the DUP on the backstop. And mm. there's about 30 of a hardcore yeah. conservative grouping uh, of the European Research Group who mm. have, have shown that they'll never support it. So there's no way she's going to get her deal before... Well, she's talking uh, to Jeremy Corbyn, uh, isn't she? Uh, pardon? She's talking to Jeremy Corbyn, she, isn't she? She is. My understanding mm. is that the, those talks are going nowhere. Mm. Um, one of the demands of Jeremy Corbyn... I think the Labour Party said they're very constructive uh, and uh, Jeremy Corbyn's talking about a, a customs union and, uh, I don't know, the Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, was talking about a customs union and Jeremy Corbyn's yes. idea being wonderful and all that sort of thing. She, she may strike a, a deal with Jeremy Corbyn, yes. 
and the Which DUP will facilitate it. I mean, you're not going to do anything to remove Mrs May in between now and October no. next year or after that, for as long but as she tries. We will continue to vote against anything which damages the union. Uh, could I say that if she comes back with a deal, uh, including a customs union, that will split the Conservative Party right down the middle? There's a huge number of Conservatives who simply will not live with a customs union because it effectively means you remain within the control of the European Union without having any say in its leg- legislation and rules. So that would cause enormous friction uh, within the British parliamentary system. So a customs union is ruled out. So secondly, uh, Corbyn's trying to get a, a second referendum uh, huge opposition to that as well. So uh, basically what we're going to have to do is tell the European Union you're going to have to change your deal. It's as simple as that. The deal has to be changed. Don't think that's going to wash. Well, they would say that, would they? Uh, wouldn't they? But the reality is that the, the, the actual agreement, withdrawal agreement, is 99% of its non-contentious. Uh, the only issue that remains causing the problem is the backstop. And I think you and I, Michael, will be very bored talking to each other mm. about this issue for the next six months because it is the elephant in the room. It's the problem that has led to this rock perishing, mm. uh, this agreement perishing on the rocks. It simply can't go ahead. But you're staying in the European Union. Well, temporarily, yes, we are. Mm. Uh, against our will and we want out mm. and I mean what's behind this what, what's, what's, what's the DUP vision for Europe now that you're going to stand candidates for election well we'll be st- we'll stand- if there's a European election which is looking very likely now we'll be standing candidates on the basis that we want to get out of Europe with a deal but not that deal and I think it's important there's a very strong uh, pro-Brexit vote uh, in Northern Ireland and throughout the rest mm. of the UK uh, and therefore uh, these elections do become important, though I have to say it's going to be difficult to get people to be enthused about coming out to vote for something that we don't want to stay in for in a few for, for a few months. Did you not sound ridiculous to yourself there when you said that you're going to campaign to be elected to a European Parliament in order to get out of Europe? Well, we've always been a Brexit party. You know, since the day and mm. hour we entered the European Parliament, we have entered it on the basis that we want out. We don't support European Union membership and never have. But whilst we're still trapped within the European Union, mm. we have a right to represent our people and have done effectively for 40 years. But do you not think that but sounds ridiculous, given what's happened over the last three years uh, and how continuously you were told you were leaving and you told us you were leaving uh, and that it was set in stone, it was not a movable feast and that come the 29th of March and then come the 12th of April and now come the 31st of October you'll be leaving but you're putting people forward to represent people of the United Kingdom in the European Parliament uh, which is a union of European countries. It's mad. Yes, uh, It's uh, mad, isn't it? which will be full of many uh, members of the European Parliament from all over the 26 seven nominations who are also opposed to, to, to the union with Europe. In the same sense that nationalist MPs mm. used to attend Westminster and they were opposed with, to the union with the rest of the United Kingdom. When the DUP That's campaigns a- in the uh, uh, election, uh, will you be promising people that you will disrupt the work of the European Union, that you will try to divide the European Union? Well, the, the, the members of the European Parliament can't really do that. It's members of the, the, the Council of Ministers who have the power to do that. The DUP has never been supportive of the European Union model in any shape or form, and we've always opposed them. But one or two individual members of the European Parliament can't achieve that. Well, that's to suggest a- that the 750 MEPs or however many there are have absolutely nothing to do other than collect big fat paychecks. 
Well, well, of course, some of them are in very big, powerful blocks. Our, our uh, MEPs have remained independent from that. So therefore, there's a, a sort of a, a basic coalition which does have quite considerable control. Mm. But we have never joined that because we're not part of the European experiment. We, we don't want to be, be European. We're quite happy to be part of a, a large, the fifth largest economy in the world, uh, forging our own trade deals and being outside the control of the European bureaucracy. Will and you I'm, align yourself with Nigel Farage's betrayal campaign? Well, we haven't as yet even decided. We don't even yet even know there's an election. Uh, we haven't decided what our, our tactics are going to be. Well, there is an election. The question is whether uh, British candidates will be fielded or, or not. Uh, the expectation is that that will be the case. Uh, and if so, uh, would you align yourself with the betrayal campaign headed up by Nigel Farage? Well, we will certainly look at potential alliances, but we've made no decision on this whatsoever because, remember, we couldn't go ahead on the basis of understanding the European mm. Parliament. Because, because we, Nigel Farage is promising to disrupt the workings of the Parliament, isn't he? Well, I, I mean, we haven't yet analysed what Nigel Farage is saying. He's a, he's a very colourful and articulate character, but you also need to dig a bit deeper and see what does his policies actually mean. We certainly, we have worked well with UKIP mm. uh, in the European Parliament. And remember, without UKIP, there would have been no Brexit because it, it was they that forced the referendum uh, three years ago. So they have achieved quite a lot. But, you know, all these things... Where it's a very movable face, mm. and I don't know where we're going to be this time next week. Never do, you, do, do, tomorrow, do, so. do you expect candidates in uh, the upcoming European election on the assumption that uh, there will be British candidates, uh, that candidates in Northern Ireland will be advised by the PSNI to consider their security? Well, that, uh, I don't, that's an interesting point that has, I haven't been asked before, Michael. Um, well, they're going around I, robbing ATMs with diggers in order to attack border posts, apparently. Yeah. Well, yes, but I mean, I'm glad to say, as you know, I've been in politics for 43 years and I had personal security for quite a long time. Well, those, I'm glad to say those days are gone and MEPs, MPs and MLAs can, can travel around their constituencies relatively fear-free. I really would hope there would be no resurgence of attacks on, on politicians of any description, mm. particularly during the European election. But a European, most- a European election campaign... Uh, in Britain, in the UK, uh, will be fought and uh, won and lost uh, on Brexit. But in Northern Ireland, it'll be won and lost on the border, will it not? Well, the border, of course, is tied up with Brexit. There's no doubt about it. Uh, it'll be a very difficult and very striking campaign. And I think we really don't need it, to be honest, in the present uh, condition. Mm. But it looks like it's going to be forced upon us. And Brexit will absolutely dominate the campaign in both Northern Ireland and the rest of the United mm. Kingdom. There's no doubt whatsoever. Even, can I tell you, Michael, I'm knocking the doors for the local council elections here in Northern Ireland at the minute. And Brexit is absolutely dominating the doors when mm. it really has nothing to do with local government whatsoever. Yeah, and the DUP is going to be accused of trying to put in place a Donald Trump-type wall, is it not? No, no, the DUP wants an agreement. Michael, we are an agreement party. We want to get out of Europe on a smooth, ordered fashion. We're not uh, wanting a hard Brexit, never have. The vast majority of people in Northern Ireland, even the pro-Brexit, want to get out smoothly to maintain the good relationships we have with the Irish Republic and to maintain our economy. So we're, we're not hard Brexiteers, but we do want out. And we want out without a backstop. If it wasn't for the backstop, I think the DEP would have signed up to the agreement long ago. And when you're campaigning and knocking on doors, are people not saying to you, why is it you want to impoverish us? Well, I have to say, Michael, amongst the unionist population, absolutely not. What they're saying is, why did you not get out on March the 29th? Why can we not get out sooner? And 
though there's a deep split in Northern Ireland between the Unionist population who are overwhelmingly pro-Brexit and the Nationalist population who see it completely differently. And I have to say this issue has split the community right down the middle. And it's night and day. You go to one group of people Mm. and they think it's Armageddon. And you go to another group of people and think it's the best thing ever happened to the United Kingdom. All right. Whatever about the European elections, if there is to be a second referendum, and I, I know you don't believe that will happen, but if there was to be a second referendum, uh, do you believe uh, that uh, people campaigning on either side of that vote would be advised to consider their personal security? I, I really hope not, Michael. It will be a very, if it happens, and I hope it doesn't, it will be a very vicious campaign because the stakes are so high because people realise it could be very, very close. But I'd like to think we've moved on in Northern Ireland and we don't need to have personal security. It's not something I myself worry about, and I'm glad to say. And over most parts of Northern Ireland, people can knock doors and we get some very vigorous responses at those doors. But I've never felt that our personal security is under any threat. And long may that continue because that's Mm. a sign of a healthy democracy that people can hold very, very divergent points of views on a crucial issue, but not lead lead to any form of violence or ill-feeling. And so far, I think we're having a dress rehearsal, as it were, in the local council elections and there hasn't been any indications of any great ill-feeling, at least not that I've heard of. Uh, Have you any feeling uh, about when Mrs May may be replaced as leader of the Conservative Party? That's a difficult question, Michael, because she, regardless of whether you like or loathe Theresa May, the one thing you have to say, she's got determination and grit and perseverance. And I think she's driven by a sense of duty. And if she thinks that's best for the United Kingdom, she resigns, she'll resign. If she feels not, she'll stay on. And I, I, don't, I wouldn't put money on Theresa May being gone by October. Definitely not. I, this woman has, has a determination, sometimes to her detriment, she has that determination. But I think most people, even on your side of the, the border, would have that sneaking admiration for that determination, though at times she's, she digs herself in on things like the backstop and makes the wrong decision. So I don't write off Theresa May just yet. OK, thank you for joining us, as always. Jim Wells is an MLA for the DUP in Southdown. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk uh, to Margaret Martin, who's uh, the Director of Women's Aid. As you know, Women's Aid uh, published its annual impact report yesterday. Good morning to you, Margaret, and uh, thanks as always for joining us. Uh, Your reports never make for easy reading, and uh, the 20,722 reports of violence against women and children is not easy for any of us uh, to comprehend. But I suppose uh, the other issue is it's an opportunity for you to highlight that there is help available to people and that you don't have to live like this necessarily. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the main messages. And I think the other thing is is for for people who are experiencing this to realise that there is hope, that sometimes it can be a long journey. But equally, we hear from women who we would have supported over years, sometimes even 20 years ago or, or longer, and they would get in touch at different times and just let us know that things are, have changed, that they, you know, that, they are, that their life is so substantially different in so many ways. So I think that's a, a, an important message to get out there. But you're quite right. I mean, the level of disclosures is really staggering. It is over the years I've been here, it's certainly, it, it's consistently very staggering. And as always, the highest level 
of disclosure was around emotional abuse, which people very often will talk about to us and say that the scars are inside and it takes, you know, it takes time to make sense of it. It, it, You know, you need to understand what's happening. And um, whereas people understand more about the physical abuse, some of those instances make for very grim reading, Mm. particularly about the threats to kill. And I think the other thing that was important for us was that there's the new legislation in terms of coercive control that came in on the 1st of January. So we've published an online guide to that, um, just to, because it's not a, a term most people are going to be using in everyday language or type be talking about. So I think it's important that you know, if you're experiencing this, that you start to understand it. And because it's a criminal offence, you need to be able to, to to start collecting the evidence. It's not so just that, that it's unacceptable behaviour, it's behaviour that is actually illegal. Yeah, it, it is. And it's it's all sorts of things as well. So it's, it, I think that makes it a little bit more difficult to understand as well. So, I mean, really, you know, if, you, if you're being isolated from your friends and family, if you're being deprived, you know, in terms of the everyday basics like food and heating, if you're being monitored all the time and stalked either online or, or in reality, but, you know, all of those things. Um, that, that uh, it's really important to start taking that ev- evidence mm. because maybe it's been happening to you for the last five years or last five months, but it's only from the 1st of January that uh, what happens, I it just, will count. Just, just, just explain what you mean by that, Margaret. Deprived of food or heating, uh, do you mean intentionally and unnecessarily yeah, so? And, and if so, why? Why would somebody yeah. do that to another person? Well, I think it's all about this thing about control that comes through. I mean, the kind of things we would hear of really is that very often the heating is turned off when he goes out to work, that there's no heating, you know, so that on a day like today, it doesn't make as much of a difference, but obviously mm. during, you know, the, when the children and the women are there. Is it as a punishment or is it because you're you're not important enough to enjoy yeah. heating? Yeah, I think it's it's about this kind of humiliation and message that, you know, you don't deserve anything. Nice. Um, and, you know, again, the whole thing about the financial control, you know, that, that, that it's it's very much focuses when we hear women talk about it on um, maybe buying particular types of baby formula or baby food or, um, you know, if she's buying sanitary protection or tampons or something like that. It could be weird, the kind of things that happen. But for an awful lot of women, they literally are given, you know, a very, very little amount of money and um, are very controlled about how it's spent. Mm. And, you know, because you're, you're maybe living with your partner, <clears throat> you know, that, that we know that this, this is affecting women who have, you know, have former partners. It's different if you've, if you've left, but a lot of women are very fearful of that in terms of, you know, they if they don't have an independent income, that's a really big step. You need to do it safely and you need mm. to be able to, to do it when it's a good time. But those kind of, you know, the, even the weird, I think some of the weird things are the kind of inspections as well. Like you have men, I mean, this is horrible to be able to even say, who come home and will smell your knickers. You know, this kind of obsession about jealousy and that you're having an affair with somebody else. All sorts of things, you know. Mm. But it, it, I suppose the whole thing about... So they're paranoid as well as delusional. Uh, yeah. You mentioned uh, that there is help at hand. We'll... Uh, Give your number again later, but it's one eight hundred three four one nine hundred. It's open twenty four hours a day, and people uh, can ring free of charge. And there's more to say about that telephone number in terms of uh, privacy, and if people are are worried uh, that their calls may be monitored, and we'll talk about that in a, a moment, and we'll repeat the number in a moment. But just to mention to people that there is a, a telephone number that they can ring for help. But mm, yeah. uh, was it always this bad? I mean, did people always behave this way or this way to this extent? 
Well, I think what's happened to some extent is, in a sense, there's a bit more tools. You know, that it, and, you know if you think of a kind of a pre-digital age, which is hard to even imagine now, something like that monitoring of control, certainly the amount of money that women maybe were getting, or women, you know, would have talked about them going through the bin, you know, to make sure mm. there's absolutely no waste. This kind of very miserly thing, this obsession about certain things. Um, I mean, obviously, people have to be careful when their money is short. It's not that. It's about the, this kind of corrosion of independence, of mm. in, you know, economic independence. And being an adult is very much about having the ability to be able to spend money on the things that you think are important or how you would get involved in that. So certainly it but did these are generally before. speaking people who are in love or who you're being led to, to believe are yeah. or were in love, they're married or living together yeah. or in long term relationships, typically speaking. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the thing is that for a lot, it was really interesting, the woman we had who spoke at our femicide research, who was mm. talking about some of the, the, the things that become evident when they go back and look at relationships. And there is very often this very heady, very high romantic phase. Mm. But one of the things that she said that I thought was really interesting is that there's a push for commitment, that there's a very early push for commitment, um, that that was a repeated pattern when they looked at all the homicide reviews in the UK, so that, you know, that they would be looking for you to become, to move in together, to, to you know, to maybe mm. get married, all of those kinds of things to make commitments. And even, you know, when Jessica Bowes was talking recently on The Late Late Show, when she was talking about, you know, um, how her partner had bought her this amazing car, but that, you know, so you're kind of flabbergasted at the generosity of that. So you mm. start to think of this person as generous. But then he took away her car and sold it. And effectively, then he was moving her car because he obviously kept the keys and it wasn't hers, you know, even though she had got, got the impression. So mm. you get all of these odd kind of behaviors. They're not normal, but they mm. are very controlling and they're very impactful really on the person who's experiencing the abuse. Right, and all of the stories are, are, are different in yes. many ways I'm sure but yes. as we said you heard from over 20,000 people uh, who disclosed what's called domestic violence in 2018. Yeah. Uh, now there's a, a lot of women listening to us uh, I imagine given how many people came forward mm. in, in one year alone who are saying yeah I can identify with that uh, I'm sure there's an awful lot of women listening to us uh, as well who are going ah oh, here hang on I wouldn't be having any of that now I tell them where to go uh, without thinking about it uh, mm. but they mm. maybe are, are strong women are they strong women or are the other women oh, weak a, women? They're in a relationship where, where you know you see I think that's the thing that, mm. that you know it's it's a bit like you know, I've, I've heard people say that, and a bit, it's a bit like, you know, if you're if you're physically abused, people immediately understand that if you've been assaulted, if you've had your jaw broken, if you've been unconscious, that obviously it takes you time to get your energy and your resilience back up again. Everybody can understand that, and you might be much more anxious, and and the impact that might have on you. That kind of corrosive stuff about the emotional abuse, the controlling behavior and the sexual abuse, some of which is absolutely humiliating, that, that you know, that the impact of that is that, you know, while women would want to do that and very often do do that, then they the backlash to that is really, you know, even, you know, so they're managing their safety. So when they maybe seem like they're being compliant and people, it's easy to say, well, I wouldn't have done that. Um, it is because there's a level of threat that they're managing. And I think, thankfully for most of us, we're not in abusive relationships. Mm. We all have our ups and downs, obviously. So they may be... relationships are not. So they may be 
uh, so afraid that they feel yeah. that they have to obey, if you like, uh, but uh, not just for themselves, but for their children for the as children. well. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. you're talking about an awful lot of children uh, who have been uh, abused uh, that you heard about over uh, 3,700 children. Exactly, yeah. And I think that Jeffrey Shannon spoke at the, the event as well and he was he gave a really strong speech about emotional abuse. It was great to hear somebody who had such a deep understanding of it and how corrosive it was and how long-term it is and, and for if you think of childhood that's a that's a only one period of your life you then move on but that the irreparable irreparable damage that can be done in that so i think the the awareness at least about the damage is starting to shift and people are starting to realize that it's much more significant and he was talking about an audit of that he'd been involved in of 999 calls so i think there's more information coming out more understanding coming out and hopefully that will lead to a much better focus on safety. And one of the things we were pushing for yesterday, and it's kind of felt fallen on deaf ears before, but it certainly got much more resonance yesterday, was when a woman is separated from, from her abusive partner, when she's got a barring order, when she has to provide access, there needs to be somewhere safe. We get so many calls from women who said, I've been down in the court, I've got access, I'm terrified and I have to supply, or I have to, sorry, I have to mm. provide access now on Saturday or Sunday or whenever it is. Where do I go to do that? There is much more recognition that there now needs to be safe contact centres, that there needs to be something like a network around the country. And that was the first time I've ever seen get that, that mm. level of traction. And that, I think that's, that's an important step forward. Right. And one in four of uh, the women who reported to you were being abused by a former partner or exactly. a former husband. Yeah, exactly. So that tells its own story. Let's talk a, a little bit about the telephone number. If uh, somebody is listening and says, well, I'd like to take some action, I don't want to put up with it anymore, uh, they may be uh, afraid to call you if uh, their phone is being traced for that matter. As you say, uh, they go to great lengths, uh, these men, uh, to see what women are up to with social media and that sort of thing. So I presume they do the same with phones. Uh, so you could end up they in do. a lot of trouble if you call yeah. women's aid, could you? Yeah, well, we have sections on our website about about all of that, you know. So that that um, and the thing is that those the the phone we've worked with all of the phone providers so that when the bill comes in, it doesn't show up. Right. Um, you know, so that they we're very conscious all of the time that we're working from a point of view of safety. And the other thing is is you know, for we know that women sometimes will will ring us when they have an opportunity when they know that they're safe and that that conversation might have to just end very quickly because they may hear his car. You know, they, those windows of opportunity sometimes things can change and for seven we can we can get access to 170 languages and that whole point as well of. We do not. I'm sorry, Margaret. I'm, the, the, the phone has uh, dropped out there for some reason. Oh, sorry. I beg your pardon. Um, we, we are available 24 7, so they can ring us any time of the day or night. We're available in 170 languages. And just to reassure people, we do not see their number. It's completely anonymous. And I think for a lot of women, they've taken that first okay. step, knowing that it's anonymous and that nobody's going to ring the back. And, you know, they need to be careful, and we're very much aware of that. Okay. Uh, I've just mentioned that the. Uh, it's free to ring 24 hours a day and the telephone number is 1-800-341-900. That's 1-800-341-900, a national free phone helpline provided by Women's Aid. And thank you indeed, Margaret Martin, Director of Women's Aid, for joining us this morning. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. 
The Garda Representative Association issued a statement yesterday saying the overnight attack on the private car of an off-duty Garda near Dundalk is not likely to be a coincidence and almost certainly connected to their work, the work of the Garda who owned the car. Obviously, the car was parked in Knockbridge and set on fire around midnight and two cars parked on either side of that car were scorched and they belonged to members of Angarda Shia as well. Garda Derek O'Donoghue is based in Drogheda in the Louth Division and joins us now. Good morning to you and thanks uh, for joining us here on the programme this morning. Why would somebody do such a thing intentionally? Michael, um, this is an ongoing investigation so just have to be careful in what we're saying this morning. We just have to presume that uh, the guards were the guards were doing their duty, and because of the, the work they're doing, they're been, they were targeted. Uh, and like everything else, if anybody knows anything, they should contact uh, the guard at Dundalk on oh four two nine three three five five seven seven. Now, the only thing from a guy Ripson's point of view is that this is not the first time that this has happened. This is the second incident in the last uh, six months, and. You're looking at an investigation involving four uh, off-duty members whose private cars have been damaged when they're off-duty. And while there's great support for the guards in County Loud, it should nearly be, and it should nearly be seen that uh, an attack on the member private property is uh, an attack on society as a whole. The, the members live up there, they're working there, they socialise there. Uh, and it like just because uh, we, we are guards, we are mm. victims of crime as well. In, in the eyes of uh, the law, is there any difference between an attack on uh, the property belonging to a member of uh, Angarda Shiakana and uh, an attack on uh, the property belonging to uh, a member of the public? No, there's not. Does it make the case for a change in legislation to bring about a, a difference and to make an attack on property belonging to Gardaí more serious? Yes, it would. But uh, it, it's it's like uh, an assault on uh, the emergency services where you want uh, specific legislation uh, in the course of your doing work. Uh, people, it's not. It's just not there. It's it's trying to prove it. And that's 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 the problem overall. Uh, members off duty. There's a private. They're private citizens. Even though within the law, we're, we're supposed to uh, enforce the law if we see something being breached in front of us. But it is uh, uh, undoubtedly uh, has the ability, at least, to be a, a form of intimidation uh, against members of the police force. You you would you would have to look at it that way. You would have to you'd have to assume that uh, the people are being are doing this because the guards are doing the work. It's a part they look at the guard is doing the work and they've been targeted because of their profession. And uh, that that shouldn't be tolerated by one anyone in society. Okay, well, something for legislators uh, to consider, no doubt. Uh, and well, uh, the the thing about it as well mm. is that this is something that we've highlighted uh, in the preliminary agenda for a conference at the end of the month in Killarney, where we hope to discuss this uh, more. A few motions have been put forward from the northern region in relation to this, because we've seen 
uh, arising this right across the the border area. It's not just this specific uh, incident in Knockbridge, it's attacks on members of uh, on Garda Síochána themselves as well as their property across the country. Well, that, that will be discussed. Uh, I, I, I don't know what uh, other reps, reps uh, would, be, would be saying, but from the northern region, talking to uh, my CC member, colleagues, um, they've had members that have suffered similar events over the last four or five years. Donegal, Sligo, Leitrim, Cavan, Monaghan. Okay, uh, the work of Angarda Siakana is uh, never far from uh, the news, uh, uh, especially in recent years, uh, and uh, the policing authority has criticised how the force is changing or not changing, the slow pace of change, over-promising but under-delivering, it says. I would have to agree with that. The, like the GRA are constantly fighting for the frontline members. Um, simple things, uniform Education, better in service, uh, equipment like tasers, uh, AMPR, body cams, good accommodation for our members uh, working out of. That's what the police and authority has been pushing this. I think this is the second time now in the last few months they've highlighted issues like this mm. and they haven't been taken on board. Like Nothing has changed from the front line. The members are still under pressure. They're still overworked they don't see any change. Yeah, but change is afoot, or at least that's the promise, and it's been promised time and again. uh, This uh, report from the authority points to scepticism within the force. Uh, Would it be right to say that you're sceptical of these promises? Well, there is push for civilianisation at the minute, as we're well aware, but the member on the front line, that person will continue doing their work They've seen no change. At the minute, it's, it's all background staff. There's, we're still waiting to, to see our members being supported on the front line. Under-resourced? Always. I'd, I'd, I don't know what the, the optimum number for the Gardaí in this country should be, but you can never have more than that's there. You'll always need more than what's there at the minute. The population is increasing. Uh, crime levels are increasing. The more, the better. More guards, the better. Okay. Well, I have to leave it there. I've run out of time, but thank you indeed for okay. joining us this morning. Garda, Derricka O'Donoghue, who is based in Drogheda in the Louth Division of Angarda uh, Siakana, brings our programme to its conclusion today. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching, and Chris Murray in the Control Tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. LMFM podcasts. Brought to you with Cark McCross Credit Union, where dreaming of warmer climates becomes a reality with a Cark McCross Credit Union holiday loan. O'Neill Street, Cark McCross or carkmacrosscu.ie. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.